0: Welcome to the More Attention, Less Deficit podcast. This episode is non-traditional treatments, separate the wheat from the chaff. There are lots of non-traditional treatments available for ADHD, most of which have no benefit. It's important to know what to look for when deciding whether a potential treatment has any chance of being effective. The book, More Attention, Less Deficit, Success Strategies for Adults with ADHD, is available at addwarehouse.com and pretty much everywhere else. But if you enter coupon code 19380, my zip code, at addwarehouse.com, you'll save 25%. I'm psychologist Dr. Ari Tuckman, author of More Attention, Less Deficit and Integrative Treatment for Adult ADHD, a practical, easy to use guide for clinicians. For more information about either book, archives of this podcast, links to past presentations, handouts, and information about upcoming teleclasses and presentations, check out adultadhdbook.com. I'm often asked what I think about various non traditional treatments for ADHD. I'm happy to share my knowledge and inform other people's decisions so they can make the best choices possible. There's all sorts of information out there, much of which is untested and unproven. So my goal on this podcast is to talk about how to evaluate how likely a proposed treatment is to actually be helpful. Despite the grand claims made by the people who sell non-traditional treatments, there's absolutely no cure for ADHD. As with diabetes, treatment means lifelong management. Most people see at least some improvement in symptoms with age, but getting older isn't exactly a treatment. As for the various non-traditional treatments, I've seen very little evidence to give me much faith in their effectiveness. The research that does exist for most of these treatments could be called pseudoscience at best or junk science at worst. It's possible that some of these interventions may work for a few people, but that doesn't mean that they'll work for other people. And let's face it, most of us don't really care that much if some treatment supposedly helped the people in this study group. We wanna know how likely it is to help us. So if a study is poorly designed, the researchers, you know, researchers, so to speak, may find that the treatment helped their participants even though there's a very low probability that the treatment will be effective for anybody else. Alternatively, the proposed treatment had some small benefit, but didn't address the ADHD specifically, so much as it affected something else that looks like or exacerbates ADHD. For example, getting a good night's sleep can help everyone be more attentive at work, but I would hardly call that a treatment for ADHD so a little skepticism is good for you. We can use the following as red flags to strongly suggest that a proposed treatment may not be everything that it promises to be. If you see any of these, you should start asking questions and really consider the answers that you get. You may also want to do more research before committing to anything. Number one, miracles. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Number two, Cure alls. My facetious rule of thumb is that if something sup- supposedly treats more than 10 unrelated conditions, then it's probably bogus. Number three, testimonials. Legitimate healthcare professionals don't solicit testimonials or use them as a primary basis to show effectiveness or as a centerpiece of their marketing materials. The other thing is, most licensed healthcare professionals are actually ethically forbidden from using testimonials. Number four, conspiracies. If the manufacturer or service provider makes claims that the treatment is being unfairly attacked or suppressed by the medical establishment, then perhaps there are legitimate reasons why this supposed treatment is being attacked. If something works, it tends to be embraced, not attacked. Number five, no evidence. Effective treatments have the results of research studies published in reputable peer-reviewed journals, not in company-owned publications or sham journals or just posted up on a website somewhere. Number six, money-back guarantees. Legitimate professionals don't have to rely on this gimmick. And number seven, no side effects. Anything that has no side effects can't have any main effects or desired effects. Nothing is so precisely targeted that will have absolutely no undesirable effects. Anything that's gentle enough to have no side effects probably can't, doesn't have sufficient power to treat anything as serious as ADHD or probably much of anything else. If a proposed treatment has any merit, it should be able to show those results in a double-blind, placebo-controlled study, and preferably in more than one of them, actually. This is the gold standard for proving that a treatment has benefit. These studies are not easy to pull off, but they do produce results that are much more reliable. If proponents of a proposed treatment can't offer at least one of these studies, then we need to remain skeptical or at least defer judgment until they do. Lots of things seem like they could help, but turn out to not actually do much once you test them. This is where the research comes in. It helps us separate the wheat from the chaff. However, even before a study is completed, we can still make informed predictions about which proposed treatments have a better or worse shot of ever being proven effective. To be taken seriously, a proposed treatment needs to be consistent with what we already know about ADHD specifically and neurology in general. For example, some chiropractors say that they can treat ADHD by doing spinal manipulations. However, it doesn't make any sense to think that spinal manipulations could change the functioning of specific areas of the brain and, by the way, also not change the functioning of other parts of the brain if it really was that powerful an intervention. That's just not how our brains work. If a proposed treatment is inconsistent with what we know about brain functioning, then that means that we would need to change the entire field of neurology in order to believe that this new treatment could work, just in terms of creating consistency. Rather, it seems much more likely that this new treatment is wrong rather than the broader field of neurology. So it isn't a matter of waiting for studies to be completed in these cases, since no study is likely to ever prove some of these theories. Some of the proponents of new treatments also face a fundamental problem of plausibility. Given the billions of dollars of research and thousands of talented and educated people working in this area, is it really reasonable to believe that someone outside of or new to the field could suddenly find a cure or treatment that nobody else did? For example, the product on or the packaging on one product claims to have been invented by a school teacher, as if you know that gives it some credibility. Now although granted a school teacher may be very familiar with the effects of ADHD in the classroom, it's still hard to see why this would enable her to create an effective treatment for it. So just because I've been driving for 20 years doesn't make me qualify to invent a revolutionary new engine. A little common sense should go a long way in helping you sort out what sounds legit and what sounds questionable. Now, some people say there's no harm in trying these non-traditional treatments first since you know someone could always try more accepted treatments if they don't work. I Have to say, I disagree. Trying a treatment with dubious or untested effectiveness has several potential disadvantages. Number one, it bets on the long shot. If we have treatments that are proven to work and proposed treatments that haven't been proven, it seems unreasonable to start with a long shot first. Number two, it delays better established treatments. So even if a non-traditional treatment were completely free and had absolutely no side effects, there is still a price paid in terms of additional struggles and suffering that could have been prevented or reduced by employing more effective treatment during that time. This price needs to be factored into your decision making. You know, are you willing to tolerate being essentially untreated for this period of time? Number three, unproven treatments waste money that could be better spent. Whatever gets spent on less effective treatments isn't available to be spent on more effective treatments. And fourth and finally, untested treatments create unfounded pessimism about better established treatments. Getting little or no benefit from an untested treatment can be, dis- can be demoralizing to some people, causing them to delay or avoid trying treatments that are known to be more effective. This is a real loss. So when you put all of these reasons together, there is indeed harm that can come from untested treatments. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try them, but if you do, you should be clear about the potential costs. Of course, if we're going to talk about non-traditional treatments for ADHD, we have to cover all the natural remedies that are out there. Now, I will freely admit that this is a pet peeve of mine, but, God, it makes me absolutely crazy when people say that some remedy is safe because it's natural. This makes absolutely no sense, since there are millions and millions of naturally occurring substances that are incredibly dangerous or even lethal. For example, cyanide compounds are produced by certain bacteria, but I wouldn't recommend eating much of this natural substance. I also wouldn't recommend eating a turkey sandwich that has been sitting out in the sun and has all sorts of natural things going on with it, or radon that is naturally occurring in the ground, and yet most of us wind up testing for it before we buy a house. Uh, The implication that these proponents use is that natural substances are somehow superior to those manufactured by humans, but that's clearly not always true. So, you know, just to beat a dead horse here, if natural substances are so wonderful, then our cities are wasting a whole lot of time filtering and purifying our drinking water and thereby depriving us of all sorts of interesting natural substances. I think it's also worth pointing out that some substances occur in nature that are also manufactured by humans, such as certain vitamins and supplements. Even here, natural sources aren't necessarily better. If the two substances are chemically identical, then there's no difference between the naturally derived one and the one made in the lab. There may be purity differences or absorption differences, um, since you know how it's produced may affect how your body absorbs it, but you still can't say that there's one better than the other. Now, I will certainly not say that I defend every practice of the pharmaceutical or chemical companies. I mean, seriously. But I become instantly skeptical when I see something that says that a product is superior because it's natural. It's a naive logic that makes me wonder about every other claim associated with this product. As for the various herbal remedies that are available, none have been found to have much of an effect on ADHD. However, they can affect other body processes or how you metabolize other medications or even other herbal treatments. So you should keep your physician up to date on what you're taking. So bottom line here, my advice to clients or whoever is to start with what we know works then experiment with some of these other interventions if they feel like they want to give some alternative options a try. If you do try one of these non-traditional treatments, you should make a point of paying attention to the kinds of benefits it's providing, then weigh that against the cost, inconvenience, side effects, and risks, just like you would with any other thing. You know, as I've said before, I'm all about making well-informed, thought-out decisions. If you do that, you're most likely to be successful. Our next episode will be the relief of being diagnosed. Wow, that explains a lot. After years of falling short, it can be a relief to have an explanation for those difficulties that isn't a character indictment. This is equally true for the person with ADHD as it is for his family members. So until next time, thanks for lending me your attention.